Hi everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. Regular listeners may have noticed that we had a brief hiatus in Strange New Worlds episodes between January and March this year. This was due to a whirlwind of travel that I had, part of which was a trip to the Network Science Conference in Buenos Aires, Argentina. This short episode of Strange New Worlds is dedicated to bringing you the highlights from NetSciX 2023. Now, you might be wondering, network science? Mike, I thought you were a planetary scientist. Well, yes, I am a planetary scientist, but one of my main research focuses is the chemistry that occurs in planetary atmospheres, and atmospheric chemistry can be represented by a network. A network is just a mathematical representation of objects and their connections. For my chemical networks, those objects, or nodes in the graph, are chemical molecules, and their connections, or links between those nodes in the graph, are the reactions between those molecules. If you pause for a moment and think about it, networks are literally everywhere, even in Star Trek. There's the mycelial network, that connects distant regions of space, and the Borg transwarp network that does the same but using technology. The Borg Collective itself is a network of interlink nodes, and the Federation uses a subspace network to communicate across thousands of light years, binding hundreds of member worlds together. Without these networks, the galaxy would look like a totally different place in the Star Trek universe. Real-world research has shown that there might be reason to believe that certain network characteristics are indicative of life, a pattern of connections sculpted by selection for functionality. In other words, perhaps identifying network structure could give us one way to search for new life in the universe, an endeavor that is dear to my heart and central to Star Trek. So I decided to travel all the way down to South America, not because I missed the warmth and the sunshine, it was summer down there after all, but because I wanted to learn about the latest tools and thoughts of experts in network science so that I could get inspired and apply some of those to my studies of atmospheric chemistry. Well, as it turns out, most network scientists don't study atmospheric chemistry. In fact, I was the only planetary scientist at the whole conference. A lot of network science is actually leveraged on human data. Social networks, criminal networks, financial networks, that kind of stuff. People's research questions ranged from how rumors spread amongst friends to how COVID spreads in classrooms, from how soccer teams rewire themselves when performing well to how your brain network rewires itself when you dream. Again, these are all networks, just things and their connections. 
And oftentimes those things are people connected by the transmission of information or pathogens. I had so much fun at this conference because I was learning double. I was learning network science, which is what I came all the way to Argentina to do, but I was also learning all of these other fields through the lens of network science, social science, economics, neurobiology. <laughs> it was pretty much heaven. Now, one of the most intriguing talks was by a researcher who modeled how online social networks lead to polarization. More specifically, to the formation of echo chambers, where you only see posts from and interact with like-minded people, and are completely blind to the existence of other points of view. In his model, each node in the network represented a different person. Each person was linked to their friends in that social network. Furthermore, every person is allowed to have an opinion about a subject, which is quantified by a number between negative one and positive one. Now, for our purposes, it doesn't matter what the subject is, so for the sake of this podcast, let's just say it's enthusiasm for Star Trek. If I'm a negative one, that means I hate Star Trek with all my gut. If I'm a positive one, that means I think Star Trek is literally the best thing in the world. If I'm a zero, that means I have no opinion about Star Trek whatsoever. So for example, I'm willing to guess that most of you listening to this podcast have a pretty good general impression of Star Trek, and might rate it something around 0.5 or even greater, something close to the maximum of 1. Really on the side of liking Star Trek. Now, imagine a news article comes in that says Star Trek Picard's latest season is the best show on streaming TV. So maybe that news article has an opinion value of 0.75. Pretty good. Because that article aligns with our points of view as Star Trek fans, we're very likely to share it on our social media feeds. That probability of redistributing that article is very, very high. If you share that article, that means that your friends in the social networks, the other nodes that you're connected to, will see it. And maybe some of them, who were not quite into Star Trek as you are, decide to like Star Trek a little bit more. So their opinion value has changed based on the news articles that you share, because they're linked to you. Now, imagine a completely different article that comes out that says Star Trek sucks, and all of the shows need to be canceled. Not just canceled, but like literally taken off of Paramount Plus so that nobody can ever watch them again. This kind of article would have a really negative opinion score, like negative 0.9, something very, very close to the ultimate I hate Star Trek of minus one. Well, if you're someone who's a Star Trek fan, has an opinion score of Star Trek that's a very positive value, very close to positive one, you're very unlikely to share that particular Star Trek story. What's more, if you see one of your friends in the social network sharing that Star Trek-hating article, you have a very good chance of unfollowing them. 
That means breaking the link between your node in the network and theirs. You just have enough of them, and there are silly posts that don't align with your point of view that Star Trek rocks. You'd rather go and follow someone else instead. So these simple rules, how you're biased towards sharing news that you align with, how an article that you read influences your own opinion, and how you decide to break bonds with people who are very unaligned with you, these three simple rules result in the formation of echo chambers. The simulations that were presented at the Network Science Conference show that an initially well-connected network with a moderate distribution of opinions will evolve naturally under these sets of rules into two distinct groups, each holding an extreme opinion, neither group talking very much to one another, but only themselves. One of these groups, in our example, would love Star Trek, have an opinion value very close to one, all sharing great articles about the latest season of Star Trek Picard with one another. And the other group hates Star Trek with an opinion value close to negative one and share articles about how Alex Kurtzman has killed everything they hold dear about the show. And you know what? Sadly, that's kind of what we see online. So at the end of this riveting talk, I asked the presenter, okay, imagine that you are the CEO of a social media company. Given your expertise in what drives echo chamber formation, what changes would you implement in the code to prevent the formation of echo chambers in your social media network? And do you know what his answer was? It was super fascinating. He replied to my question with a question of his own. Does anyone have the right to prevent the formation of echo chambers? Wow. I wasn't expecting that at all, but his answer gave me so much to chew on. On the one hand, I see where he's coming from. These echo chambers are just the result of people wanting to follow like-minded people and unfollow people whose content they don't want to see. What one person calls an echo chamber, another might call a friend group. I know personally, I don't follow certain politicians or tech CEOs on any social media platform because I just find their posts distasteful. Should an algorithm force me to see them? On the other hand, Polarization is a very real problem in our modern world, and echo chambers on social media networks are a big reason why. These big social media companies are already playing God by designing the platforms on which we spend untold hours of our lives. So don't they have some kind of social responsibility to make these platforms do good rather than evil, enhance social cohesion, mutual understanding, and empathy, rather than contribute to anger, fear, and real-world turmoil? I don't have the answer. I'm not sure anyone does. 
But I thought I'd share this story with all of you because it really made me stop and think. And I hope it's got your gears churning too. After all, this technological and ethical conundrum is one that is worthy of a good old Star Trek episode. And listening to that talk made me so relieved that my NASA-funded work on planetary atmospheric chemistry has no societal implications. Like, <laughs> the stuff I do is pretty cool, but I'm glad I don't have to wrestle with any ethical issues in my own work. My molecules of oxygen and methane don't get to choose whether or not to react with one another. They just do. No capital riots are going to happen because I failed to figure out how to find life on an exoplanet, and for that, I am very grateful. Well, that wraps up this episode of Strange New Worlds. Thanks, as always, for listening to this podcast. I'll be back soon with another exciting episode from the intersection of science and Star Trek. Until then, stay healthy, stay curious, and I'll see you out there.